tune in, tone up. Your one-stop shop for guitar tricks, tips, techniques and advice. With me, Gary Shilliday, and my own excellent teacher, Dan Davis. In Guitar Lesson 28, Dan and I look at how to arrange and develop the song we began to look at last lesson. We thought it would be useful to develop the guitar parts of this song and look further at how to arrange it. With lots of suggestions to support songwriters, we particularly focus on lead-ins, harmonising vocals and guitar parts, palm muting and using intervals to create dynamics. Hey Dan, uh, I've been editing the songwriting lesson that we just put out there and we feel that there's a little bit more we could do to develop and arrange the guitar parts and the songwriting okay. ideas. Do you think that would be something you can help me with? I'm sure we can, yeah. I mean, really I'm an ideas kind of a guy. I throw the ideas out there and, and then let other people sort of pick them up and, and do what they want with them. Being that it's your song, I'm always very aware when it's someone else's material that you don't want to offend people or tell them how to do it. Because the one thing which original material has going for it is people can compare it to other songs if they want to, but it, it is its own thing. Yep. So if you want it to go in a certain direction, that's up to you. That's what's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like if you're listening to a Led Zeppelin album and it suddenly does something you're not expecting... The odd die-hard fan is like, oh, Led Zeppelin don't do that on albums normally. What's going on there? <laughs> what do you mean they just produced a reggae album? I don't understand. Sometimes I think bands maybe have a little less artistic license if they want to retain their fan base, if you follow. When you do completely original music, or the other thing, of course, is when you cover someone else's song, again, if you do it really differently from the record, people kind of either buy into it or they don't. They either kind of go, that's a cool version, or they don't. But when it's your music, your original music, you've written it, you wanted to do whatever it did. It's your choice. Yeah. And so can't really be compared with other things quite so easily if you follow. Yeah, yeah, sense that, yeah that is talking, making sense. That sounds generation. good. And I think, with, uh, I think with this song, I think we'd kind of flipped round the chorus and the verse to almost the, the other way in many ways, which is really good. And that is coming together quite nicely. I think that was how I was working on it anyway. Okay. <laughs> it's a bit of a... I want to think would be the, too vague. The but... two interesting things to focus on and maybe to tell our audience why we're focusing on them and why it's so important is guitar parts yep. and arranging. Now, I'm going to say this now. A good song is a good song, regardless of the format. You can always change the format of a song. A song is, if it's a real strong song, I'm going to give you an example, and I've told you about this before. Years ago, I think it was, was it either Pop Idol or one of those reality TV shows. You know they have a themed night. Yeah. And the themed night on this particular occasion was 80s. And this one girl singer who was you know, a really great performer, great singer... She took Living on a Prayer, she slowed it right down, made it sound contemporary rather than the 80s anthemic hit that it is, and she played it slow, and she played it on the piano and sang it beautifully. And I thought, that's genius. You can only do that with a really great song. And like it all over it, Living on a Prayer is an amazing song. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's got great melody line, it's got great hooks. And you put those hooks and those melody lines in any context within reason, and you're still left with a great song. Just in the same way that you you can't polish a turd. If a song is not very good, yeah, it's yeah. not very good. If it's crap, it's crap. Whatever you do with it, you can put the nicest guitar sounds with the nicest guitar parts and the best arrangement. If the song's crap, it's crap. So you have to start off with strong material in the first place. So whatever you do with the guitar parts... If the song's strong, 
that's going to carry you through regardless. But it's nice to know what constitutes good guitar parts and cool guitar parts that are going to work and work sonically within so the So we piece. can look at a few options today and think about how we are putting it together. Yeah, so putting it together is the arranging side. Now, yeah. what does arranging mean to you? Uh, for me, thinking about what multiple people are going to be doing, yeah. uh, giving them parts which complement each other and so that frequencies are being filled in and not over the top of each other and everything's complementary to... Think about the bass parts, all the different exactly. parts, you know. When I was at school, I was in a big band, and we used to get our music, because, of course, songs aren't always written for loads and loads of people. If you scale up a song, you have to scale it up and write parts for those extra instrumentalists. Yep. You know, if a song was done on bass, guitar, and drums, three instruments, and you want to do it in a 50-piece band, it's no good giving the trumpet player a chord sheet, is it? It's not going to really help anybody. So you have to have an arrangement. And when we used to get through a new song, because we had a 55-piece band, we got a lot of people, we got woodwind and brass and rhythm section and percussionists and everything, everybody got their own copy of the song. So for guitars, we had chord charts. For brass and woodwind, you know, they had their own set of melodies and, and all the rest of it. And it would say in the music, arranged by. So in this particular case, the song would be arranged by whoever we'd gone to to do the arranging and so it is with a song, whether it be a pop song, rock song, punk song, whatever. How you arrange it, as you quite rightly say, it's getting all of those parts to kind of work together. Yeah, okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I often think of songs as having steps, peaks and troughs, if you like. Loud bits and quiet bits. Dynamics. Yeah, I'd like to get some dynamics. Absolutely. So let's look at our opening riff. Yep. So you want to yep. play that there opening riff in the key of E? Okay, now when we looked at this first time, I think we discussed having some octaves and all the rest of it playing over the top. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You could certainly do that. A part like that as well could well benefit. Maybe if you're starting with quite a hooky chord sequence like that and you want it to hit hard and sound big, it's sort of for the first couple of times around, you know, have it just on your own. Yeah, a little quiet. And then have a, have someone else joining you with maybe a different sound. So you've got quite bright but crunchy sound there, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. So let's try that. If you do two rounds, then I'll, I'll join you. <laughs> So all of a sudden it adds this thicker layer. Now sometimes a recording technique that some players have used over the years is having maybe a guitar which does the higher gain stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. It, it doesn't sound as maybe as big, but sounds gainier, more drive on it. Lay down a chord part and then they'll go back over it with something like a Les Paul with a more vintage amp sound that's bigger but slightly cleaner. I don't mean clean, cleaner. Yeah. So like your plexi kind of cleaner. And they'll overdub one on top of the other. They'll double track it. Yeah. And the effect is you get all of the gain and all of the sizzle with all of the ballsy, meaty, less pull sounds underneath. And it's, it's one thing that, you know, even in a band, there is a good case sometimes for doubling parts to make it sound bigger. Especially if you've done the first couple of rounds on your own, no drummer, drums come in, second guitar comes in. Let's make it sound big. Got it. Now, some of the problem that sometimes I've noticed people have with arranging a song, yeah, they can write songs, no problem. But when they arrange them, sometimes they carry on that big theme throughout the verse instead of having, say, a guitar drop out or whatever. Now, the problem I have with that personally is what do you do when you go to the chorus? Yeah. You know, you've already added a layer and depending on how many instruments in the band, and most bands, let's face it, are not usually huge. Yeah. You know, if it's yeah. a guitar-based band, usually it's three or four people, five at the most if you've got two guitars and, and a singer. Maybe yeah, yeah, six yeah. if you've got a keyboard player. That's quite rare. So sometimes when it comes to the actual verse itself, the storytelling bit, better off stripping things back. The reason that is is because it not only lets the song breathe a bit and lets the vocals breathe a bit, 
So the vocals aren't vying for room in the track and the guitar isn't fighting the vocal. But the other thing too is that when you do go to the chorus, when you do ramp it up again, it's going to sound huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll give you a real good example of that. Um, A few years ago, my band recorded a version of the Foo Fighters' Pretender. And it's pretty authentic to the record. And what you notice on that is you have a guitar part that's quite skinny in the verse going over the top. For the first half of the verse, the second guitar plays this broken line. So you've got a skinny part on top, which isn't going to tread on anyone's toes. And this stabbier part underneath, which kind of lets things breathe a bit. And then when that goes to continuous, it's more music. It opens up. So where it's muted, although it's then continuous, it just brings that rawness and that in-your-faceness of the guitar back a bit. Yeah, yeah. just holds it back. And then when we go to the F at the end of that line, we let that muting off, which lets you know something's coming. The guitar's going to get louder. I haven't touched the volume control on my guitar, but I've taken the muting off. Yeah. And that's just opening everything up. When you go to the chorus, what's different then, you've already got a track that sounds pretty big anyway. And you've got the anticipation that the muting unravelling as such brings to proceedings, plus that little line which tells you something is coming up after it, something has to. And then when you go to the chorus, the guitars open up much more, and you've got two vocals. You've got a vocal in harmony. So you've now got the full weight of the guitars behind it, and you've got two vocals. That now sounds massive. If you'd have started with that, been like that all the way through the verse, and carried on in the chorus, what impact does your chorus have? Yeah, it's none. None. Absolutely none. I'm not saying your chorus always has to be louder or always has to be more full, but it's a fairly kind of well-trodden path, and it works. As somebody once said, there's a reason why something's a cliche. It's because it's good. That's why it keeps getting used again and again and again. This sort of little thing in music where we we kind of drop down in the verses, peel it back, and then add the layers as we go into the chorus, making it much more explosive. Yeah. For rock, at the very least, works tremendously well. Tremendously well. So, in your tune, I would say once you've done your opening chord thing and then added a guitar to it, maybe for the verses, we want to slim that back a bit. Yeah, okay what we might refer to as dynamics into a tune. Essentially, it's light and shade, loud and soft, really. Yep. I mean, you can build in dynamics as well by using different instruments, I guess. You know, if you're using keyboards, using string sounds or pad sounds, they're a lot sort of softer. Yeah, yeah. Than maybe, yeah, than maybe sort of say a piano or something like that and not quite as Blackpool Tower as an organ. Yeah, so that's a dodgy holiday resort in Lancashire. <laughs> <laughs> used to be the home of the TVR, a very fine sports car, however, so every cloud. <laughs> so, um, anyway, anywho. <laughs> so, when we're looking at the verse of something, yep. it might be a good sort of idea to, to look at how we're going to break it up, maybe. Drums can always calm down a little bit. Less feels, less cymbal hits, stuff like that. Just to let the song breathe a little bit. You've got to remember the verse is supposed to be the storytelling. And I realise there are songs out there, like pop songs, that have kind of got nothing to do really with the storyline as such. It's all all pretty basic. But I guess we're looking at more songwritery things, aren't we? Where, where we are mm. actually worried about the story that we're telling and, and it means something to us. So we want to tell that story as well as we possibly can. So what we could do is sort of skinny that part down. So if we're going to carry on this vein... <laughs> going to carry on that that almost sort of punky kind of thing we could skinny it down so what uh, i've done there i 
explain a little bit about what I've done. If you're hitting strings, this is a basic science, really. Simple science, as Ricky Gervais used to say. Yeah. Simple yeah. science. If we're hitting strings at the same velocity, give or take, yep. and we hit less strings... It's going to thin out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If we If we use the higher strings rather than the lower strings, they sound thinner. Even if I play a line, here's here's an interesting one for you. I'm going to play a line in several different places. D string. A string. As you move strings, although the notes are the same, they get thicker and thicker as you move to the thicker yeah. strings. How's that, folks? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good... Interesting. That's a pretty interesting demonstration in itself. Right. So, I'm using the middle two strings for my line, and I've started off with the basic power chordy sound so nine and nine for e seven yeah. and seven for d five and five for c so then we're going to go into thirds so seventh fret on the d string is the root note a and we're going to have the major third there which is yeah. on the sixth fret so we've got seven and six on the g and we're going to go up one fret at a time Then I've gone to open, and then the G. So same shape again, five and four D and G strings. So. Yeah, got it. Now there's several things that you could do at this point. You could kind of have a maybe a volume drop anyway, which will help. Also, you could drop out maybe some of the gain. So you could either roll back or go to a, a slightly cleaner sound. You could also mute it. Now, if you wanted to be a real smart ass and make it sound really cool, and you've got two guitar players, and he decides the other guitar player, he doesn't want to stand around looking like an idiot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get him doing something, because he looks restless. So, moving on to the G and the B strings, so essentially yeah. the next pair across, we could go... 9 and 9, 7 and 7, 5 and 5. And then we've got 6 and 5... And then open. And there, yeah. That sounds good. I know that I've okay. How cool does that sound? That sounds pretty cool. Sounds pretty good, yeah. Sounds pretty good. It is. It's kind of, in a way, sort of walking that fine line between... It, it's not straightforward hard rock. It's a little bit punkier than that. Yeah, 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 you yeah. Know? What you can do as well to bring in an extra layer. I'm all about the layers. Now, when you when you do multi-track recording, I've got Logic here on the Mac, and I can sit here and record away, and I think I did one track once, and I looked at it, and 48, 45 tracks? What have I, 45, what have I been wow. doing? <laughs> but what I would sometimes do is I would put my drum track using a, a loop on one track yeah. and my cymbals on another and things like that. Or I'd have like more than one bass bit because I'd be copying and pasting and then go back and do the next bit. And yeah, okay. So you end up with a massive amount of layers rather than kind of one part played all the way through. So what we can do here maybe is for the first part of the verse, use layer one. Yep. Kind of skinny, it's not trampling on anybody's feet. Yeah. And there's always the, you know, always the option to go back to your big chords if you wanted to build it up further still. Yep, absolutely. So we've now got four different layers. We've got you playing the riff on, on your own, like the big riff with the chords. Yep. Which sounds like this. 
Then we've got the same thing, but with me providing a bigger, bassier yep. under undertow. Two, three, four. Yep. Sounds pretty cool. And then... And this second one. So we brought it down, but we kept a bit of melody in there, made the parts kind of interesting. Yeah. So we looked at some of the parts for the chorus. The funny thing is, listening back, so you... I think I've switched it. And the verse on the other bit in many ways. <laughs> so it's right, so where's kind your chorus of switching now? it around. Gary, you played me a sort of rough and ready recording that you knocked up of your song. Yep. And what we were hearing was the bit where it went over the F and the G and the A and so on. Now, is that your verse or your chorus, would you say? I would say that's going to be more like the verse in many ways. Interesting. It sort of sounded quite pre-chorus-y. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, okay. Now, what you could do in the arranger, I know you had another guitar bit which went with that. What you could do, again, is think outside of the box in terms of when you bring that guitar part in. You know, use that as a pre-chorus and then have this as the chorus. Let me give you an example. Mm. An example that any man can understand. Everyone's got a mother, right? We go to mother's for tea. What does mother put on the table for tea? Biscuits. <laughs> everything. <laughs> everything. Yeah. The kitchen sink. It, it's yeah. it's like it's like um. What, what, Throwing what, everything at you. What was it? Just come back from that. <laughs> right, so so I you know, know. Exactly. What, who was that? Larry Grayson, Generation yeah. Game. Yeah. Used to have a TV program over here. I don't know if you guys ever had it over there in the States. Well, the Generation Game had this conveyor belt went past the contestant with all these different items it. on it. And they used to have to tell the person what was on the conveyor belt and they would win every item they could actually say. Yeah. And they go, oh, cuddly toy, uh, toaster, tea's made. Blah, blah, blah. And they rattle off all of these different things. <laughs> Now, when you go to mother's, it's a bit like that. It's like she puts everything on the table. It's all there, you know, cuddly toy, holiday to the Bahamas, leg of lamb, play with mortgage for me. Yeah, you know, it's all it's all there, isn't it? And sometimes you feel like saying to mother, just because you have it in the cupboard doesn't mean it all. And I mean, all has to end up on the table. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where I'm am I going? With tea, it? Maybe <laughs> slightly less on the cheese front. Would you like a pork chop with your? Oh, I'm fine, really. Lego, <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. no, no, honestly. Gotcha. Now, just because you've got the kitchen sink in your technical armory, or you've got all of these different licks that you you think are really cool with this song, doesn't mean you have to present them all at the same time, all together. Yeah. So actually, choosing when to put something in is an arranging skill. Yeah. When is it most effective? Because once it's out there, it's out there. Now, what's the point in putting different bits into a tune? Well, sometimes they're kind of nice bits to have. So sometimes you hear a guitar lick and you think, well, well, that's kind of cool. It's just nice to have that little feel there. But if it's a poignant bit, like a real part of the tune, usually it's there because it's either it's pushing the tune along and making it more exciting... Yes, it's adding interest. So it's a bit like you're presenting the listener with a song. Here is the verse. Oh, yeah, I kind of like that. I kind of like that. If that verse goes on like that for too long, they may get bored. So we put something in there to hook their interest in. Oh, oh, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I wasn't expecting that. That's unpredictable. That's good. Do you see what I mean? So we're keeping... keeping So could one way of... interest. One way of developing it in the way that you're saying be to kind of go for the the verse if you like as a kind of more chordal thing like F G A minor so it's following the same but then you save that back as a pre-chorus and then have the full riff as a chorus okay is that what you're... So this is interesting so I hadn't thought on along these lines but this is where it's good it's coming from you yeah. it's your song yeah yeah after all and it's good that you're open minded like that and I'm certainly not here to tell you how your song should be. Yeah. But I can 
give you my half penneth and what I think, and yeah. and then it's up to you. Again, thinking you're sort of building it up, you could start, I guess, just with the chords. <laughs> one person to play that that would be cool they could even play it maybe with a bit of delay and reverb so it's yeah. quite nice and spacious and then you have somebody come over the top halfway through the verse with a much drier sound so after a couple of rounds that pushes it along now because you're in that section for quite a while having something else that little guitar lick or whatever going on thereafter again could be kind of cool or you could have an arpeggiated. Yeah, after, like after your big long chords. Nice. So it's just straight chords yeah. pretty much. But... So I'm adding that note there. The A minus 7. the third fret on the B which makes it an F6 and then the eighth fret on the A minor that sounds good doesn't it or you can even have the last one go up So with a verse, I suppose my feeling has always been, if I'm the performer and it's my song and it means something to me, if I'm bored, the audience left the room hours ago. Yeah, 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 okay. You know, you have to reel your audience in. It's the same with guitar solos, you know, I know we talked about this before, offering up something and expanding on that something, especially over a slow tune, means you kind of keep your audience coming. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's the, it's the same sort of thing here. Rather than throwing the kitchen sink at it, by reading them in with a new part, a new part, a new part, there's something new to listen to. That's kind of cool. What I was saying to someone the other day, I was saying, you know, we were talking about iPads and iPhones and listening to music on them. And I said, you know, music recorded in top studios was never and is never meant really to be listened to on an iPad. I used to, as a kid, go around with a Walkman and I'd listen to an album and I'd listen to it at close quarters and every time I heard that album that I liked, I'd hear something new, something different, something, a guitar part I hadn't heard before that just kind of was in the back of the mix or a kind of cool keyboard bit that wasn't immediately apparent before and it kept the music fresh because I was hearing everything Yeah, and I find these days, that probably makes me sound like a boring old fart. I think you're right though. You know. <laughs> Do you know what? When I was a kid and people said, oh, that's what you want. It's a Les Paul and a Marshall. It sounds amazing. I thought, you boring old fart. Yeah, yeah. What have <laughs> I got there, Marshall? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What have I got in the, I've got a Les Paul in the collection? And I concur, it's one of the finest tones that my gear produces. Unfortunately, sometimes the boring old farts are right. Yeah. They might not like it, but they're kind of right. I think if we apply that 
thing to our writing of giving people something new, giving people something else in the music. It can be quite cool. And sometimes when it comes to sort of arranging, it's, it's subtle it's subtle things. You know, sometimes the effects you use makes a, a big difference to a track. Something like that on the verse, I think for the chords, like a tremolo effect would sound really, really cool. Yeah. I don't mean tremolo folks as in... I mean, as in like a tremolo, as in the, the tremolo pedal effect. Yeah. I think would, would would sound really, really cool over that. It's used very, very subtly, but to great effect on uh, Radiohead's Creep in the yeah. quiet bits. And again, it's just that subtle burbling of the tremolo effect could be really, really cool over something like that. Yeah, okay. I mean, you've got a song in many ways of two halves here. You've got the hard-hitting, punky bit, and you've got the much more sort of... Sort of storytelling, yeah, sort of uh, side verse, of it, verse yeah. which is much more airy and, and light. The two can live together, but we've just got to figure out now what we're going to do in terms of choruses. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because the chorus is going to be for me that riff. Yeah, um, and uh, we had some kind of things that we get, well, some hooks over it, I guess. But yeah, it's just a. Uh, haven't really got that bit yet. It's downtown, really. May I make a suggestion? Yeah, go on. With a chorus, you've got to obviously try and, if you can, get some hooks going on there. Yeah. So It's what... going to be repeated, isn't it, after all? Absolutely. You don't want to be repeating rubbish. <laughs> so I would, be, I would be inclined to have a three-chord section of it repeated and fourth time round the three-chord section will go to the other bits. Yeah, okay. So if we went, go for open chords, I'm going to choose E, D, A, and then on the final time we're going to do the E, D, C, A, A sharp, B, okay, let's G. So... It's going to have to be after the second time. Even better than that, let's miss the C out on the end. Yeah, okay. Okay, so we've got the lead in from the B. rocky isn't it <laughs> yeah i've also I tweaked think. the timing a bit yeah so where is your first one went like this <laughs> this is I like that. That's really good. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really <laughs> good. You've got to think too about how someone's going to sing over it. And so that's E. What's your chorus vocal line? Well, that's the thing. <laughs> Non-existent. Right. But I've, I think the way, because it's time, isn't it? But I think the way that it's coming together is it's a little bit like, you know that song Jeremy by Pearl Jam? Jeremy, you, that's all about kiddie fiddly. It's, yeah, that, that's the one. You <laughs> You're <gotta>, a teacher. <laughs> Jeremy's yeah, but he's, he put me with a surprise low. <laughs> he, he's had a load of grief at school and he's firing back, isn't he? Clearly, and I remember I'm picking on the boy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Seemed like a harmless little beep. <laughs> <naughty bottom. laughs> 
So I'm thinking it's that kind of thing. So you've got the verse, where, which is your, your people reflecting on the on the time with a bit of guilt. And then uh, the chorus, you've got the, the guy sh- is this screaming back type like thing. Generally how, what, how he... That's how them. I'm moving. Yeah, no, it's, how they... it, it's the person reflecting on how he treated them, yeah. Um, no, not the other way around. Not not the other way around. So no, whereas it could Jeremy's, be Jeremy's yeah. the victim, in this case, the people are the victim. Yeah, in a, in, a, in a way, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're reflecting on it, On he's reflecting on something that he didn't realise at the time. That he was, it's not something that happened to me, but it's just a, a nice idea, I think. I'm just thinking of how I would... I will come up with something. I'm getting there. It's the way it affected him, isn't it? So. Now, I'm going to introduce um, our audience to the most useful <laughs> piece of equipment that I've ever bought, ever. <laughs> yes. Now, answers on a postcard, a folks. <laughs> Is it my PRS? <laughs> is it my Cornford? No, is no. It, is it my extensive collection of Strowman pedals? Maybe. No, <laughs> it's a pucker pad notepad from Sainsbury's. Two pounds. <laughs> if you are songwriting, this is half your, decent pen. Yeah, yeah. This is this is your most important ally. Write and rewrite. I'm going to write your chorus for you. Right. Okay. Do you mind? No, not at all. Great. Uh, yes, it sort of follows the same rhythm. Keep that as an intro, couldn't you? That whole yeah, it's coming together. It's coming together oh, nicely. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, now I'm feeling a bit Alison Chainsy here. Is it a bit emo? <laughs> Brilliant. My hands made of balsa wood are going to run away and eat margarine. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, lo- I love medicine change. <laughs> but I know what you mean. <laughs> so, here's my... Black gives way to blue or whatever that... Did you hear that final album that they've done with uh, their new singer? No, it's uh, good. I think it's really good, yeah. There's a I mean, Dirt was an amazing album, wasn't it? Oh, Dirt was fantastic. And Jar of Flies was my favourite. Some great, some great songs. Yeah. So I, the way I figured this, I don't excuse my singing in advance. I never meant to vote another follow. I never meant to waste your precious time. Life has left me feeling pain and hollow. I punish myself so what is the crime? Great. <laughs> Need to practice singing. <laughs> so the words, awesome. the words I chose was: I never meant to falter, not to follow. I never meant to waste your precious time. Life has left me feeling vain and hollow. I punish myself. So what is my crime? Nice, like it. You like it. That's pretty spot on. What I'm getting at as well. Oh, I thought it might yeah. be as dark. Oh, yeah, no, that's really good. <laughs> You're a total star. <laughs> Oh well, we'll have to we'll have to cut the tune together at some stage. Absolutely. <laughs> I suppose sometimes you've got to have, you've got to have a bit of a vision. I know it sounds a bit hippie, but you've got to have a vision for the song. You've got to have an idea of how this song is going to sound. You know how yeah. how do you want the thing to sound, and then work to that end. 
to make it sound sort of close to that. It's like with singing that kind of thing there, I reckon it would suit possibly even being played very slightly slower, but also maybe on the end really got the hey, yeah. Do a sort of a, a harmony in fifths or something like that, like Alice in Chains kind of sound. Like yeah. Yeah. Sounds great. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. That's all right. Awesome. So chuffed, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm going to be putting it together. And I hope people have enjoyed this sort of, it's over a few weeks, isn't it? But I hope yeah. people have enjoyed looking at songwriting in this way. And maybe we'll do a little bit more in the future as well. It's yeah. a really good thing, I, I think. I mean, with songwriting in itself, I suppose there's lots of different aspects to writing. You've got the initial writing, coming up with the idea... Yeah. Sometimes that's hard. I mean, I quite like collaboration. One of the reasons I like collaboration is when I hear an idea, I can run with an idea. And for many years, it was the way I was taught guitar playing, was I'd have teachers who presented me with an idea, and I would take the ball and I would run with it. And I'd go, well, that's an interesting idea. What can we do with that? Which is probably one of the main reasons I teach that way wherever possible these days. To my mind, if anyone's a halfway decent musician, if you give them an idea, they'll take it and they'll run with it. Only the sort of very young or very inexperienced, and it's fine to be young and it's fine to be inexperienced, need literally spoon-feeding every single thing note by note. And when you get to the stage where you're writing your own songs, that's a kind of a cool place to be, because you're, mm. you're doing what the whole point of music is, which is sort of you know, expressing yourself and, and coming up with your own thing. Yeah, it's a lot harder than... No, that's a bit unfair. But, uh, you, you know, I used to draw and do a little bit of artwork at school yeah. and stuff, and you, you're instantly creative, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, there's a, maybe it's not easier to be creative, but it's a bit more kind of raw. You, you don't have to get to grips with the tools quite so much in some ways to get something going. I'm probably being about No, that. I know I know exactly <laughs> what you mean, because, you know, you if you look at a lot of people who are actually quite amazing songwriters... And in that respect, they're kind of amazing musicians in their own way, but they're not necessarily always the most schooled musicians or yeah. the ones who who know the most theory. You know, that's, you know, theory, to me, theory is a tool in the toolbox. And there are some people, if you're a lucky enough person that you picked up a guitar and you were good at it, or piano or whatever it may be, or bass or drums, and you could write songs, and you became famous, and you carried on with a stellar output of tunes, mm. and carried on that way, without necessarily needing to really, really know the ins and outs of your instrument. You know, you're sort of an explorer of music, rather than somebody who's sort of spoon-fed theory. Then that's great, if that works for you. In this country, we've bred many fine musicians who have a, a very individual thing going on. But for a lot of us, we are working musicians or musicians trying to emulate other things we see and hear. And for that, we need a certain degree of technique and a certain degree of theory, because it speeds our job up. You know, we're not yeah. we're not in that nice group of people who can just sort of necessarily write a song and get paid thousands of pounds for doing it. We go and play the local pub, do covers, go play working man's clubs, go and play weddings. And I think if I'm brutally honest, that's where most musicians actually are lie don't they most working musicians that's where we're at yeah you know we do a bit of session work when it comes up and a bit of this and that but we need our theory because when the singer turns around and says oh can you do that in d flat instead of d we need to be able to comply yeah you know when you've worked everything out of a record and then you go and play it with the band and it's crap 
because the record has nine musicians on it and there's only three of you, you need to be good enough and have enough technique and enough understanding of your instrument to make it sound amazing in three in a three piece. Yeah. Arrange a song for that. Yeah. yeah. And that's completely different take on it. Yeah. I've met people who are amazing at writing songs and don't really know their instruments. And it's funny, you know what, I I do know my instrument pretty well and I do know my theory pretty well. But there are times when I'm actually jealous of the guy who doesn't but writes amazing songs. And it's not because I can't write good songs, it's just there's a certain innocence in the ignorance, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Whereby, in some respects, it can open up people's doors a little bit. And as much as they don't know what sounds they're going to produce, they're not thinking, oh, it's this chord, it's that chord. They're just hitting and hoping until they come across something good. And I think there's a part of us, regardless of how well-schooled we are in music, that needs to hold on to that childlike inquisitiveness of just seeking sounds that are great, seeking good sounds, good licks, good little things of our own. I kind of do it, I guess, with solos and things, because while I don't play my own songs, because I end up playing mostly in covers, or I do write my own songs, where it sort of pays dividends, I suppose, is when it comes to the solo stuff, I very much put my own spin on things. Yeah. I very much do my own thing. And the licks, you know, unless I've got to copy someone solo, trust me, the licks are 100% mine, you know. Okay, I might have nicked them from a few people. <laughs> Over the years. Yeah. yeah, over the years. How like. long have we got when I say thank you to everybody? <laughs> thank you, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you, Richie Blackmore, Jimmy Page, Jeff Beck, <laughs> Paul Gilbert, Randy Bro. <laughs> I can go on. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, that's I know great. That, I know that sounds kind of a bit hippie, but do you know what I'm saying? Is like that, that ability to express yourself, to sit down and write a song. When songs are written about your own personal experiences, they carry quite a weight behind them. Yeah. You know, they actually mean something to you. And if you can write a good song, because the greater your depth of life experience, or in a certain area, or having empathy and being able to put yourself in someone else's position, and understanding how it feels for them, being able to write about that, the greater your life experience, and the more open you are as a person, the better your lyrics will be. You know, the better your song will be. Yeah, yeah. You know, the best songs are the ones that bear the most soul in my personal opinion, the more people show of you what they're all about, the better the songs. Hard to uh, have a... It's not a formula, is it? (laughs) It's funny, you know, some people are amazing. I was watching a programme last night about Prince. Yeah. And it didn't go as far as his death. I think this was probably done before that. But they were talking about his career. And the thing that sometimes people forget when it comes to these people who are like... I mean, he was an amazing artist. He was something like grade 8 at 25 different instruments. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. There's no other word for it. Yeah. And, and his uh, guitar. His guitar was amazing. Yeah, great guitar player. But they were saying, like, one of the guys who'd worked with him in a band said there was a band that he worked with and wrote the songs for. I think they were called The Time or something like that. And he would go to their rehearsal. He spent three or four hours with them, rehearsing with them to get their stuff right that he'd written the songs for them. Then he'd go cross town to a rehearsal with The Revolution, his own band. He'd rehearse for another three or four hours with them. And then he'd go home and he'd go to the studio and start recording. And at one point he said, I am going to write one song every day until the day I die. And his output, the reason he ran into so many record company problems was his output was so huge. He would write an album, he'd put it out. By the time they toured the album, he'd written another one (laughs) <laughs> and put it out. By the time they got back off tour, he'd have another album written. There's loads of music in, in his vault that they found after he died, like huge amounts of songs. But yeah, it's just incredible. It's a bit, bit awe-inspiring, awe really, isn't it? <laughs> it is, but also you think, like, you can see how much he worked on it. Yeah. And that's the thing that I'm getting at, is with songs, you've got to work on them. You've got to work on songwriting. It doesn't necessarily come easily to everybody. I know that Elton John was once quoted as saying, if a song doesn't happen for me in 20 minutes, I've been it. So he wants that instantaneous kind of thing. So he's going to go through a hell of a lot of ideas. Yeah. Before he settles on the ones that are, you know, 
keepers. And I guess recording them and, write, like you say, writing things down, but also recording your rough ideas got to be a good good way forwards, even if it sounds oh, absolutely. pretty disheartening and rubbish in the initial moments. But at least you've got the idea there and you can go back to it and look at it again. So That's right. No, absolutely. I think recording yourself is a great way of seeing your faults, which you can't always see when you're playing. Yeah, very true. Yeah. And it's also a great way of seeing how a song kind of hangs together. It's a, a magnifying glass for your good bits and bad bits of what you do. Retain the good bits. It's like a refining. Retain the good bits and change the bits you don't like or get rid of them. Yeah, that's brilliant. Thank you very much, Dan. No problem. Guess on the podcast front, it's worth saying to everyone as well, we're very pleased with how much interest there's been over the past few weeks and months. We've had over 20,000 listens now, pretty much, in, in a year. And just to remind you that, you know, we're here to speak to If you've got anything to say at all, go to our website, ask us what you want lessons on. We'll tell us. Tell us and we'll do it. Tell us, yeah. If but the rhythm guitar playing one back in the day was quite popular. I think the Tom Petty one we just had also was very, very popular. So, yeah, tell us what you want and we should do our best to deliver. Thanks very much. Stay tuned for more episodes, jams, improvisation ideas and well-informed thoughts about amps, pedals and guitar tone. If you enjoy this podcast, leave us a review on iTunes, find us on SoundCloud or see our website on tunein-toneup.com. Here you'll find show notes, tabs and further research and resources. It's also a good place to get in touch. We hope you're finding these lessons as interesting and as useful as I do and if you have any suggestions, we'd love to hear them. Yeah.